Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, as Andrew said, my name is Justin. I serve on our ministry team here at Mount Hope, and it's great to be with you in worship this morning. In just a few minutes, we're going to be opening up God's Word to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. If you would like to turn there now, you're welcome to do so. Luke, chapter 18. Um, we'll be in a couple of those verses there in just a little bit. I'm really excited this morning because, uh, as you know, Mount Hope is a church, one church in multiple locations. Uh, we've got our campus in Burlington. We have this location here in Belmont, which God has been doing amazing things in over these years. We have a great school that goes from pre-K through fifth grade right now in Burlington as well, which is doing amazingly well. And one of the things that we as a staff constantly pray for is we pray, God, what are you calling us to do next? And right now, there are some pretty exciting things that are starting to happen that we're looking forward to. And so I bring this up this morning because there's an opportunity for us as a church to pray. It's something we always encourage you to do is to pray, God, what are you calling me to next? And in the same way, we as a church are looking into that as well. In fact, this morning, Pastor Rick and a couple of our leaders here from Belmont as well as from Burlington are gathering at another church, a location that might potentially be a future location for a Mount Hope facility as well. And so that is absolutely exciting, but at the same time, we want to be prayerful. God, where are you leading us? What are you calling us to? And so I invite you to join in prayer for that as well. And we'll definitely have more information in the coming weeks. If it's something God is closing, we'll let you know about that. If it's something he's opening, we'll definitely let you know about that as well. So we're in Luke 18 this morning. I'm a teacher by trade, and I'll tell you, nothing excites me more than when I get to give my students a pop quiz. I don't think they feel the same way, but I enjoy it. So this morning, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. One question, fill in the blank. Here is the question. I'm good with God because blank. I'm right with God. I feel like I'm okay with him. I feel like I'm right with God. I feel like I'm good with God because of blank. Take a second in your heart even right now to think how you would answer that question. Try to imagine what makes you feel right with God, feel good with God. And I am very aware that some of us may be sitting here going, uh, no, that's not me at all. I'm not good with him. I've not even connected with God. I don't know him I don't think he knows me, and I am distant from him. If you are saying that this morning, I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk about your situation as well. But for the rest of you who are here, maybe you come every Sunday and this is a regular practice in your week, how would you finish this sentence? I'm good with God because. My children are now at an age where I've discovered that they're old enough for me to order them around a little bit. They can do things for me now, which I'm sure is the way you're supposed to parent. But I realized this recently when I learned that they can wash my car for me. And that's a big deal. That's a big step up in parenting. And now why do they want to wash the car? Because they can turn the hose on and fire away at each other. They can just fire away at the car and that's fun to them. So they'll do it. They'll happily wash my car for me. Now, if you've lived in New England for any length of time, you know that every month of May, every car, no matter what color you bought it in the month of May is what color? Yellow. And so I remember this past May, I had my children wash my car for me. 
Now, what did they do? They took the hose and walked around the car and sprayed off all the yellow to the point where there was a river of yellow just flowing down the driveway. And they, I came outside and the car looked amazing. It wasn't yellow anymore. It looked like it was nice and fresh and clean and everything was right with the car. And so I said, boys, let me just wipe it real quick so I can dry off the water that you've sprayed on it. Let me make sure that everything is nice and dry and clean. And I used a rag, and this is what that rag looked like right after I wiped it one time. Now, it looked clean, but was it clean? No. There was a layer of yellow removed, but nothing underneath that was actually removed. I'm good with God because blank. I know I'm clean because blank. In the case of my kids, they knew the car was clean because it looked clean. I thought it looked clean. But was it actually what I thought it was? If you have your Bibles open this morning, we're in Luke 18. And I'm going to start by reading from verse 9 onward. Luke 18, verses 9 and following. Remember, I'm good with God because blank. Luke 18, verse 9 reads, He, meaning Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, that they were clean, and treated others with contempt. I want to stop here for one second. If you know we've been in this sermon series around the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, and this is one of these important things we've been doing every week. We stop and realize who Jesus is speaking to in each one of these stories. Remember, we kept saying parables are not self-help things. They're not life hacks. They are Jesus addressing a very specific audience with a very specific issue. And in this case, here is the specific issue. People who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And as a result, they did what? They treated others poorly. They treated others with contempt. And to them, he tells this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I think it's critical for us to understand what's happening in this story that Jesus tells. Two characters, a Pharisee, which would have been a teacher of the law, a righteous and religious zealot of the law. Somebody who would have been seen and known as being proper and righteous and holy. And then there's this other character, this tax collector, which we've talked about before here as well. This person who would have been considered the lowest of low, the most evil of all evil people. They were extortioners. They were con artists. They were people who were deliberately evil. 
And Jesus brings up these two characters, and right off the bat, anyone who's listening would know, of course the Pharisee is going to be the hero of this story. He's the religious hero of our time. He's going to be the hero of this story as well. And just as he does throughout Luke 18, Jesus flips the narrative. He flips the champion of every one of these stories. If you remember, last week we were talking about a widow, and she was the hero of the story, a widow and a judge, and she was the hero. This week we talk about a Pharisee and a tax collector, and the tax collector's the hero. There are stories of children in this, in this chapter becoming the hero of the narrative. There's a blind man who becomes the hero of the narrative. In other words, Jesus is saying, whatever you think is right, let's flip that a little bit. Because in this case, Jesus brings up two people, a religious zealot and a con artist tax collector. They are different as different can be. But there's some similarities to their story as well. It's easy to assume that the tax collector is an atheist and the Pharisee is a believer. That's not what the scripture says. Where did they both go that day? To the temple. They both came to pray that day. So there's a similarity right then and there that they both came to the temple and they both came to pray. And they both have these postures that you'll see throughout this passage. These approaches that they bring to God. This posture that they have. Now what is it about a posture? Has anyone ever been told you have bad posture? Yeah, I do. That's kind of slunched, hunched over, always looking at a computer screen like this. Bad posture. Now, both of these men come to God in the temple with posture. There is a way that they come to the approach, they approach God, and that's their posture. Some of you grew up in cultures where there were very specific rules around how you treated other people. How many of you grew up in a culture, in a home, where if an elder walked into the room, you had to stand up? Yeah, I see some hands, right? Some of you grew up in a culture where when you were sitting around the table eating, there was a specific order in who ate first or who got to scoop the food first because the most important person got to go first. Many years ago, I worked for a large Japanese corporation, a company that was, uh, that all of you would know, a company that's very big in the tech world. And I remember our first week coming to work there. My first week there, there was this very long orientation that was partly about working for this company, but the vast majority of it is learning how to work in a Japanese corporation. It was days and days of training on how to bow, how low to bow, who to bow to, what you say, who you can speak to, and how you refer to someone else that's at the organization with a higher title than you. It was learning posture. That's all we were learning for days. And so when we would travel to Tokyo, we would always have to remember our posture, that you are speaking to someone that is of higher importance than you, so you need to have the right approach to that person. The Pharisee and the tax collector have postures when they come into the temple. They have an approach to God when they walk in. And now you're going to start to see their similarities. Both of them recognized that self-awareness was a big part of the posture that they brought to God. Self-awareness. 
Listen to the Pharisee's prayer for a second. The Pharisee, standing by himself. Now, some, uh, some versions of that passage will say, the Pharisee praying to himself. Some versions will say, the Pharisee praying about himself prayed like this. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and, and I give a tenth of all that I have. What's the Pharisee's approach, his posture to God? His approach is self-awareness, but in a very bad sense of self-awareness. He has a complete lack of self-awareness. He comes to God with, God, look how good I am. This self-awareness that says, God, I am amazing. God, I am first. I am awesome. God, I do all the right things. Therefore, you should listen to what I'm about to say. In fact, listen to the prayer. The prayer starts with the most important word, God. But what about the rest of the prayer? I thank you. That I am not like other people. I thank you that I'm not even like this tax collector. I give a tenth of all that I have. I fast twice a week. Who's the center of his prayer? I am. Now I want to ask you this. When we think about our posture with God. Our approach to God. Who is at the center of your prayer? Now, it's very easy to start the salutation, God, and then just start going. But the Pharisee's prayer reveals a lack of self-awareness. A lack of knowing who he actually is. Because God is at the beginning of his prayer, but God is not at the center of his prayer. God is far removed from his prayer. In fact, he has become God in his own prayer. I want to ask you this morning, when you approach God, when you have a posture toward God, who is at the center? Who gets preeminence? Who gets all of the attention and the focus? Is it you or is it God? Because how we pray is one of the greatest revealers of who we actually have at the center of our prayer. If you feel like your prayers are focused around your life, your day, your week, your family, your job, your career... I want to ask you, is God at the center of that? Because here's what we learn from the Pharisee. A lack of self-awareness can lead to an abundance of self-ness. You know, Harvard Business Review recently did a study about self-awareness. By the way, this is a massive skill that corporations and organizations are looking for. People who are self-aware. How many of you think of yourself as self-aware? And now everyone's like, I don't know. I don't know where he's going with this. <laughs> the study found that 95% of people think that they are self-aware. 95% of people. Yet the same 95% that they surveyed said, I know the majority of my own team is not self-aware. So in other words, basically, no one is self-aware. In the end, the study found that about 10 to 15% of people are actually what they call self-aware. It's a very small number. Right? I remember a manager, a micromanager that I had in my own career, who one time said to me, I hate micromanagers. 
I do too, by the way. I remember another situation very recently where I had a colleague who was running a meeting for, it was an hour-long meeting for about 45 minutes, talked about herself and things that she's working on and things that had nothing to do with the rest of the group. And then when it was time to discuss the issues of that meeting, she said, guys, let's keep our comments to a minimum. I know your time is valuable. I don't think you do. Self-awareness is something we look for, but we often don't have. Because when we approach God, when we have a posture with God, we often come to him completely self-unaware. The Pharisee comes to God and says, God, look at me. God, I'm so good that you need me. That's his posture. That I deserve to be here because of my goodness. And I can't begin to tell you how often during the course of a week I will approach God with my good deeds. And I'll say, God, I prayed this morning, so you owe me. God, I let someone cut me off in traffic, you owe me. God, I was nice to someone. God, I prayed today. I read my Bible today. I went to church on Sunday. You owe me. Do you see how self-unawareness can affect us? That every day we go to God with our credentials, our moral resume, and we say, God, because of how good I am, you should do something for me. It's the posture that the Pharisee brings to God. Now, what's the posture of the tax collector? The tax collector stands at a distance. He literally beats himself up. And then he starts to cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Both of them have postures. One posture puts himself at the center and says, God, I am so good that you should do these things. God, I didn't do anything bad this week, therefore you should do this. And the other man comes and says, God, I am not good. But you are good. Have mercy on me. They are completely different postures based on two completely different ideas. One, that I am good and two, that you are good. So when you finish that sentence this morning, I am good with God because blank. Are you saying I'm good with God because I'm good? You see, a proper view of God transforms how I view myself and how I view others. The Pharisee walked into the temple and he just decided, I'm good, therefore God should be good to me, and it doesn't matter how I treat anyone else. Now, posture and self-awareness was only one of the things that they had in common. Both of them did something else as well, and that was they compared themselves to somebody else. I think it's obvious with the Pharisee who he compares himself to. Who does he compare himself to? You can shout it out. The tax collector. He says, I thank you, God, that I am not even like this tax collector. He's comparing himself. 
Now, what's the danger in comparing yourself to someone else? I thank you that I am not like such and such. I thank you that I don't do such and such. Now, if we're, if we're not careful, this is exactly what each of us are prone to do every day. I'm good because I'm not a serial killer. I don't murder. I don't steal as far as I know. I'm not that much of a liar. I'm not really angry. And so what do we do? We play this comparison game, which is ultimately just a smokescreen from what we actually do. It just blocks us and puts a mask on our eyes. And so we start to replace Christ with our credentials and our comparisons. We replace him. God, I'm good because I fasted twice a week and I gave money, so therefore I'm good. That's my credentials. By the way, a Jewish person at that time was not commanded to fast twice a week. In fact, there was only one day out of the entire year where they were told to fast. So when this Pharisee stands up there and says, I fast twice a week, he's saying, God, I went above and beyond your rules, therefore you should answer me. And I'm not like this guy, therefore you should hear me. I'm good with God because I'm good. How many of you have ever painted a wall white? Right? We were painting the trim on the outside of our house a couple of years ago. And I remember we went into the, the paint store and said, hi, we'd like to paint our trim white. And the guy just looked at me like, what do you mean white? There's a thousand versions of white. And he would show me these swatches filled with white paint. And the only way I knew what was white was to compare it to something that was darker. Like I only knew what white, bright white was when I compared it to eggshell white or mother of pearl or some other color that looked like it was white. And here's what we do every day. I'm not as bad as that person, therefore I'm good, therefore God should answer my prayer. And this weak comparison that we do constantly where we throw out our highlight reel in front of God and say, God, look what I did this week. God, I gave. God, I served. God, I did. Therefore, you should do something for me. That's his posture, his approach. Now, it's not just the Pharisee that does this. The tax collector compares himself to someone as well. He says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The tax collector compares himself to God. He recognizes that he cannot approach God with some sort of giant resume Therefore, he must come with honesty and openness and recognize, God, you are God. I am not. I need you. You don't really need me. And so I come before you begging and pleading for mercy as I come before your presence. Now, I want to be honest. Most days that I walk into God's presence, I walk in with credentials and comparisons. I got to tell you, over these past few years, I've noticed myself looking down on other people more than ever before. I'll read a social media post or something like that, and I'll say, oh, I'm better than that person. I'm, my opinion is so much better than that person's opinion. And what happens when we start comparing? It's not making me better. It's making me bitter. 
I am not looking at that person the way God looks at that person. I'm looking at that person based on how awesome I am and how lowly they are. And Jesus says, when you start playing the comparison game, both of you will lose. Unless you start comparing yourself to the only one you can compare yourself to. So I ask you this morning, when you hear that question, I am good with God. Are you answering it because I'm good? Or are you answering it, I'm good with God because God is good? Because he did what I could never do. That I would never have the moral credentials or resume to ever accomplish what he did on the cross for me. Do you come before God every day saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if every morning started like that? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I put myself in this place every day and watch what God does in my life throughout that day. Some of us right now, maybe it's been a while since we've connected with God, a while since we've seen him answer a prayer or, or, or in any way have a connection with him. I ask you, when you come to God, do you come from the place of humility? Jesus ends this passage like this, that the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled. Do you start here or do you start here? God, I'm good. So you need to be good. Comparisons can lead to a lot of danger in our lives. Comparisons can cause a lot of issues and problems in our lives. There's a song that Carmelina and the team often sing from here on stage. They'll sing this song. It goes, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. It's a great song. I will make room for you. Have you ever tried to make room for something? What do you have to do? You have to get rid of something to make room for something. And so often in our lives, there is no room for God to move because our room is stuffed with us. My desires, my needs, my concerns, my life, my convenience, my comfort, my career, my family, me, me, and me. And when the room gets so stuffed with these things and then we say, God, I will make room for you, that means something's got to go. Something's got to be removed from that space so that God can work in that space. And it starts with this approach we bring to God, this posture that we bring before God. And some of you, even right now, are recognizing and hearing the Holy Spirit speak to you right now. And he's saying to you, God wants to do something in your life. But right now, that room is so stuffed with you. Some of you right now, the Holy Spirit's convicting you and saying, I know I'm not doing something the way God would want me to do that thing. I know I'm not living the way God would call me to live, but I'll keep doing it because I don't murder. I don't do something that's worse. And therefore, I'm good, so God should be good. The posture is where it all starts. The posture that we have before God is where it all begins. And so this morning, I ask you, are you good with God because you are good? Or are you good with God because God is good? There's this deep sense in the Pharisee that because I am religious, 
that religious people go to heaven. Religious people will be saved. Uh Uh-uh. Only forgiven people go to heaven. Forgiven people are saved. And this is where the call for every one of us, whether you find yourself a follower of Jesus or this morning you've come here and Jesus is not someone that you have a relationship with, it starts by knowing that you are forgiven by the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And my posture toward that cross changes everything. It's not God, I'm good. It's God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This morning as our worship team comes back and we prepare for communion this morning. There is nothing in all of history that reminds me of how little I am and how great that God is than the cross of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would go and be tortured and executed on a Roman cross with nails driven through his hands for me. And the mercy of that, grace that I never deserved, grace that was never warranted by me, that is what I come with God. I come to God with this morning. Not with my work or my efforts, but by his mercy I am saved. And this morning I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads. If you did not receive the cup or the bread this morning, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will come forward. I do see a few hands in the audience. Our ushers will come and bring you a cup and some bread as well. As our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed today. I remind you of the filthy rag that I used to wipe my car. I thought I was righteous. I thought it was clean. But one wipe with a clean cloth showed me as good as I thought I was. The book of Isaiah says like this, that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're not right with God because of the right things we did. Now don't get me wrong, God calls us to righteousness. He's not commending the tax collector because he sinned. He's commending the tax collector because he sought forgiveness. This morning, I invite you in your own heart. Paul writes like this, let every person examine himself or herself as we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. Take a moment right now in your hearts while our worship team plays. Take a moment in your hearts. God, I so often come to you with my credentials. I think I'm good with you because I'm not as bad as someone else. But God, have mercy on me because I am a sinner. I have fallen so short of who you are. I may find my great peace and rest in being able to compare myself to someone who's in a worse situation than me. But God, when I compare myself to the righteousness and the holiness of you, God, I recognize how far I am. And so I say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner.
draw our hearts and our minds this morning back to an upper room 2,000 years ago when Jesus was having a meal with his disciples. Something big was going to happen the next day. And so he decided to dine with them the night before. He needed them to know how big what he was about to do was going to be. So he gave them a reminder of how big it was going to be. On the night Jesus was betrayed, on the night before he went to the cross, on the night before he would be betrayed and hung on a cross, on the night before he would be whipped, on the night before his beard would be plucked out of his face, on the night before he'd be spat upon, on the night before he would be tortured for my sake and for your sake, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I encourage you now to take that bread and to remember this is in remembrance, a memorial to the greatest act of mercy that you and I ever received. When Jesus Christ went to a cross for my sin and for your sin, not so that you and I can approach him with my credentials and our resume, but that we can fall upon his mercy this morning and say, God, I need you. Let's partake in the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup and he blessed and he said, this is a new covenant. This is a new way of doing things, a new way of looking at things. It's not about your righteousness and fulfilling the law anymore. I'm doing something new in your life. And some of you sitting here right now, maybe you're not partaking in communion right now. God is saying, I'm doing something new in your life. That your credentials, your resume will never match up to the level that you need to. Partake with me. Let my blood take the place of your resume. God, I thank you for this cup. I thank you for your blood that was shed for me. God, I thank you because what you did on the cross paid the price for me once and for all that I don't have to ever declare, God, you need me, but I can declare once and for all, God, I need you. God, let this cup be a change in my life going forward, a new covenant in my blood. Let's partake in the cup together. Lord, I thank you because I thank you because I come to you constantly with my credentials. They're like filthy rags before you, Lord. God, I pray this morning that you would have your way with us, that you would do something that only you can do in our hearts. God, I'm sick and tired of crying out, God, you need me because of how good I am. God, I need you. Every hour, I need you. 
my one defense, my righteousness is you, Lord God. And so I need you. Let's stand to our feet this morning and let's worship the Lord in singing that song together.